Welcome to another episode of A Figure Focus. I'm your host, Ephraim Eggbelly, CPA, founder and managing director of EFS Group LLC, where we help our clients manage their money so they can scale their business with confidence, and also founder of this amazing podcast, A Figure Focus. And today I have a very special guest with me. She is an amazing, amazing figure in the childcare industry. She owns three childcare centers here in the Crosby, Houston, Texas area, and she also owns an amazing childcare millionaires group where she teaches a lot of childcare um, operators how to expand their business and just operate in excellence. And we have Miss Brandy Woods. How are you today? I'm doing good, Ephraim. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here because I'm ready to spill the beans <laughs> and let everybody know all my business and how they can be successful in this industry. I love it. I love it. Well, let's start from the very, very beginning. Tell us about who you are and where you're from. So that's a complicated story. I'm not going to start from the beginning, beginning. <laughs> but my name is Brandy Wood Smith. Um, I love what I do. I'm a child care owner, but I'm much more than that. I'm a mother of six, a grandmother of three. Wow. Um, I'm a publisher. I'm an author. I'm a really good friend. I yeah. must say so myself. Um, and of course, I'm an entrepreneur. And that's the part of my life that I love right now more mm -hmm. than all the other parts. I love you kids. <laughs> but I'm really excited because I feel like I'm finally able to choose me and do some yeah. of the things that I've really been wanting to do. I love it. I love it. Where'd you get your start? Because you didn't always start in entrepreneurship, <laughs> right? Were you in the school education? Um, I was, but I probably started entrepreneurship before I started out in, really? in education. Um, I remember in third grade, I used to sell candy on the bus. Oh, wow. Blow pops were my best seller. So, yeah. hey, know what your customers want. Um, and the school said I was selling too much candy. They yeah. told my mom I couldn't sell anymore. But she let me keep selling because yeah. she knew I was an enterpriser. Um, but I went to college and I did what everybody told you you should do. Right. Go get a good education, get a good job. I found myself teaching and I really loved it. Mm. I was passionate about it. Um, climbed up the public school system chain, became a assistant principal, curriculum director. I left as an assistant superintendent. But I knew that I wanted to do something different mm -hmm. and I wanted to be able to control my own time. And I had hit a money ceiling right. and I wasn't okay with that. Right. Oh, wow. How do you feel like climbing up the ladder in the education system helped you with the childcare businesses that you have now? Oh, now that's a good question. I, For one, with people skills, mm -hmm. I learned to deal with a lot of different people, personalities. I learned how to troubleshoot. Yeah. And definitely good conflict resolution. Um, I think that was one of my super skills because at one point I was over at the math department right. and we had over 300 math teachers. So oh, wow. it was no way that you could, you know, be over a department that size and not be able to be a good people person and right. run a good tight calendar mm -hmm. and be able to handle budget. Um but more than that, it allowed me to see the big picture. Mm -hmm. Like, for example, in my industry, child care owners, you know, we may have 15 and 20 employees, but I already knew that I could manage more people. Right. So I wasn't scared to big, big, big bigger um, than other people. Um, I knew how to navigate calendars and budgets. So those skills really helped me think about the, our industry in a bigger way. I love that. I love that. So you, you climbed the ladder, then you decided, you know what, it's time for me to go start my childcare locations. And then did you start with three at the beginning or how did you like jump no. in? No, I wish it was that cute. Y'all, I got fired. 
Okay. Or I got downsized, however okay. they wanted to say it. I guess I didn't get fired because I got a severance package. What year was that? Who? This was in 2013. Okay. Now, this is the crazy thing. I have been wanting to open a school for seven years. Mm -hmm. I actually had the building for three years. Oh, wow. This is horrible. I know, don't look like that. <laughs> I had the building for three years, and it was like I just couldn't make the commitment to leave. I finally had started making six figures. I finally thought I was where I wanted to be in my career, and I was mm -hmm. like, how am I going to leave my for sure money my for sure insurance, like I was like, girl, you're doing too much. Right. And so I probably wouldn't have left if it was not like a series of uncertain events. So I left yeah. the public school system and I went to work for a private school. And this was like my way, it was my bridge. I thought it was gonna be my bridge. And that year I made a lot of money because yeah. I was able to not only have this contract with them, but I made extra money traveling around the world to other districts and um, doing trainings and it was great yeah. but something happened they were too top heavy mm. and I was the last administrator in so that means I was the first administrator out mm -hmm. and they offered me something that was comparable to my old position but who wants to go backwards right. so I made the decision that day I was like I'm gonna choose me I was yeah. like if if I'm going to pour my heart into this field, I might as well open my own school. Now, even though it had took me seven years to do it, seven weeks after I left, I opened. So they terminated me around August, mm -hmm. and by September 30th, we were open and taking students. That's amazing. I feel like there's some parallels in our stories, right? Because I, st I stole candy when I was in junior high. <laughs> and then I also was laid off of my job in 2009. Right. Wow. And then that's kind of how, you know, I was looking for work for six months, couldn't find anything. And then how I just said, you know what, I'm going to start a business. So I feel like there's some, so much parallels between, you know, what we've had to go through. I feel like that adversity has helped us to get into business and be able to deal with the challenges that we Absolutely. have to deal with. And I was just untrusting. I'm going to be honest. I was in a position where I didn't want to put my future in nobody's hands again. Right. Like. I was like, if I'm going to fail, let me fail on my own. I had an old Camry. I had wrecked that thing like <laughs> nine times. I traded. I knew I had, you know how you're going to have one last check? Right. So I took that check stub and I walked into the Cadillac dealership. I was like, if they're going to repo something, it's not going to be this Camry. I got me a nice shiny Cadillac. Now, I'm not telling y'all to go do that. <laughs> but it gave me something to work for. I was right. like, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to put it all on the table and I knew I had the skills, probably just like you, because you're great. I love being a part of your company. I love what your company has done for me. Um, but it's something about you when you're at that moment and at that crossroad to choose full-time entrepreneurship. Right. It gives you the bubble guts. I don't yeah. know any other way to put yeah. it, but it makes you really reconsider life. Yeah. And for me, I was like, this is my chance. This is my time. And I, I couldn't give myself any reason to turn back. Mm. When you started, how big was your family at that time? <laughs> well, we have a wonderful blended family. So all of our kids were in school. Luckily, none of them um, were like in childcare at the time. They were mm. kind of like in school. Um, I think Maddie at the time was like five. She was going into kinder. Wow. Yeah, she was, no, she was actually four. She was going into pre-K. Um, and so, like, having a family that big and, mm -hmm. you know, like, we, 
and then I had a new relationship. It was right. scary all the way around out there. Right. Oh, wow. So when you first started, your blended family, like you were in a new we relationship. We were budding, yes. Yes, and the nine children. And wow. So how did you juggle all of that, right? I don't know. Because I've, I've always wondered that about you. Like you have a, such a big family. You have a lot of friends. You know, like you're there for everybody. And then you have Thank all these you. businesses that you run. Like how are you able to like just handle all these things? Well, I really run my life like a corporation. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like So it's departmentalized. Mm -hmm. So some days I'm totally just mom. Okay. Some days I'm just his sweet thing, right. you know, <laughs> at the breakaway and just be a wife. And other days, you know, I'm an entrepreneur. And I don't find balance. I think, like, if I tried to find balance, that would be too difficult. I think I departmentalize. And when I'm present as a friend, I try to be all in as a friend, right. like knee to knee as a friend. But when I'm a mom and I'm cooking and I'm, you know, taking the kids, doing what they need to do. I try to just be a mom. So I've learned to be present where I am and just to try to stay in a flow. So whatever needs me at that moment, that's where I try to be. Yeah. Um, and I keep a really tight calendar. I put time in for myself to make sure that nothing goes missing, that there are not too many cracks. Right. Um, but there are some days where the business is going to get more of me, and then there's some days... To be honest, my family is gonna get more of me, mm -hmm. and I'm o I'm okay with that. Right. But for us, when we were first starting, my husband was my contractor. Okay. So get a good contractor. <laughs> <laughs> my husband was my contractor, and we just became really, really good friends. And he was there from the beginning of me opening. And there were many days where I wanted to quit. Him and my cousin, I have to really shout them out. They were like, you can't quit. You you got to push forward. Um, and we became really great friends. So it was very easy for us to be in a relationship because he already knew my drive. Yeah. I already knew his drive. And um, he was willing to, you know, accept my crazy. I was willing to accept his crazy. Yeah. And we were willing to accept each other's kids as our own. Right. And the great thing is I love kids. Mm, so right. <laughs> <laughs> he was raising his kids and it was a no brainer. I had my kids and it was just like, we're going to do this. We might as well be a great example yeah. that blended families can work. Yeah, that's that's amazing. I like your husband's amazing. You Thank know? you. And, hey, <laughs> and the thing I like about him is that, you know, very supportive. You have all these things going on. And I'm not in the ins and outs of your relationship, but I can imagine he's like, you know what? I'm going to hold it down for you while you go handle these things. And then obviously we'll come back together and we'll we'll have our time. And stuff, but you have a lot of responsibilities. Yeah, I'm gonna make sure that I support you. You know, which I think is missing. And life. you know, there's this like theory out there. This is not what this episode is supposed <laughs> to be about. But there's this theory out there that successful black women, I might right. as well put it out there, mm -hmm. can be in healthy relationships if they make money. Well, I'm in a healthy relationship, mm -hmm. and I make money, right. and it's okay. And um, one of the things we we try not to like come fight each other's schedules. We get up together every morning around four thirty, five o'clock, and that's when we talk our day and we navigate our day. And I can't remember when we got married one time. We had a conversation, and he was like, "I totally don't mind you being busy." He was like, "I just don't want the last of you." Mm. And so we have this joke like, "Hey, I'm busy today. It's four a.m." Let's, you know, talk. Let's have mm -hmm. our conversations. Let's have our personal time now. That way, at the end of the day, I'm not fitting him in. Mm. And vice versa. He has a demanding schedule as well. Mm. I don't want to feel like he's fitting me in. 
but we also know that there's going to be kid time. So right. we have a very um, intentional schedule where we make sure, one, we're spending time with our kids, mm -hmm. right? Our biological and our blended kids, because it's very important that everybody says the time has to be the same, mm -hmm. but that's not necessarily true. Mm -hmm. One of your kids is going to need more than the other. Right. I don't care how you want to divide that time equitably. One of your kids is going to be need more time than the other, and they change and they rotate. Um, and sometimes the business is going to be at a place of extreme growth or a crisis, and it's going to need more time. But you have to be very intentional about scheduling in time for you guys to really have good, soft time. Mm -hmm. where you guys can ebb and flow and have conversations and you leave time for romance, you leave time for business because, you know, family is, you know, it's like a business too. Right. It needs certain things to run correctly. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, that's not what this episode is about. But with a figure focus, I feel like that's going to be a common recurring theme, you know, like building your business with your spouse or without your spouse, making sure that, you know, whatever your relationship you're yeah. in, you have that balance, you know, so... Because you don't want to be a public success and then at home you're a mess. Right. That's like the tragedy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be like a tragedy that everything in your business and publicly people respect you. And then at home your family is like, well, where are you? Right. You know, so that's definitely not my goal. And, um, you know, I bring my children along with me for the ride and they bring me mm. along with them when they're doing something new. So we've learned how to make business time, family time. Right. And and it works for us. So hopefully y'all are making it work for you. I love it. So let's, okay. So we're at the part in your story where, you know, you left your, well, the job let you go. You started your business, right? And you started with one location. How soon did you open up the second location? I needed the second location like in five months because mm. my first location was too small. So whatever you're out there dreaming, dream a bigger dream. My building was way, way, way too small. Right. So we um, got our second building within eight months of us opening. Um, and we opened two locations in one calendar year. That was a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and then we wait, we didn't open our third location until a few years later. And that right now, our third location is our most profitable location because we knew how to do business better. Right. I love it. So, okay, you we fast forwarded, you have three locations. How was hiring back then compared to how it is now? Take me back to <laughs> 2013. I think people needed, wanted to work. Yeah. Um, we I opened my business coming out of a recession. Mm -hmm. So people like really was honing in on job security. Right. Like my first full-time employee is still with me. Oh, wow. Today, still with me. Yeah. Now, I hired hundreds of people in between that right. are not. And what I realized probably even pre-pandemic is that people begin to move around um, a lot quicker than they did in the past. Um, and in my field in teaching, teachers are very loyal. Right. Unless they don't like their leadership, they're not very quick to move. But I found in childcare, if I could keep a person for 18 months to two years, I was doing really, really good. Right. But around the eighth or ninth month mark is when people kind of got, you know, the itch. Right. And so we began to put in programs, longevity programs, mm. um, to encourage people to stay. Um, and we began to talk to people more frequently every quarter to make sure we had a good pulse 
Only mm-hmm. if people were happy, and if we were happy with them, how could we motivate them to stay, mm-hmm. or what could we do to, you know, keep them as long as possible? Yeah. No, I think that's so important. When you find great talent, how can you keep them longer than, you know, just a regular one to two years, right? Because the longer you can keep somebody that's great, then that's less that's on you, and you can just build and continue building. Exactly. So. I mean... And I love hiring great teachers, but I love hiring great leaders. A great yeah. teacher is going to give me 10 kids. But mm-hmm. if I hire a great leader and I can put them over a location, that's going to get me 100 kids. Right. And if I can get a great director of operations that can manage three or four locations, that's going to get me three to 500 kids. Yeah. And so all employees are not created equal. So I learned to really focus on my leadership and let them really focus on their staff. But... Um, to build big, you have to have higher level, executive level positions. Mm. And many childcare owners, they just avoid, they avoid it because they don't want to spend the money right. on a high level person. I, I agree. I, and in speaking about this, I think one of the reasons why, you know, you're very successful is because you did have that experience coming in, right? That leadership experience, which I think a lot of people lack when they start business. Mm. So now when you're working with people, you don't necessarily know how to work with them or get the best out of them, right? There's so many people that have businesses, but they don't like people. And it's I don't like, get it. <laughs> how can you grow if you don't like people? Well, how right? can you like money if you don't like people? Exactly. Because, I mean, even the Bible says, you know, that he's going to cause people to give to you. Right. So your customers are everything. Your employees are everything. And your employees are your internal customer. You cannot make eight figures mm-hmm. without a team. Right. You can you can make seven figures without a good team, mm-hmm. or with a, even with a shabby team, you can fall up on seven figures. Definitely on six figures. You can make six figures in a month by yourself if you have the right product and even an okay system. But eight figures, right. you're gonna need an executive level person on your team that can actually grow out a profit center. Um, and those are the people I'm looking for. I'm looking for the person who's going to help me grow out my next $3 million center or my next $5 million center. The teacher is great, right? And and they are important to my stability, but they're not as important as that great HR director that's going to find me 20 teachers or that director of operation that can, you know, manage 50 staff members. So Mm -hmm. to really be an eight-figure center or any eight-figure business, you got to think about hiring high. Right. It's important. So you have your three locations, everything's going good. And then you have this revelation in your mind where you're like, you know what? I feel like everything that I know, I need to start pouring it into people. And then Child Care Millionaires is born. What year did you start that? Child Care Millionaires was birthed five years later in 2018. Mm-hmm. And it was not my decision. Oh, really? I mean, no. Okay. I remember I used to hold these little seminars called Millionaires Academy because I, I love teaching adults. I think that's the teacher part of me. Um, mm. So Imagine Me Academy feeds my pockets for mm-hmm. sure. But Child Care Millionaires feeds my soul. When I'm mm. able to speak or, you know, MC or talk to adults, I mean, that's when I'm most alive. So right. I remember coming off stage. I still had the mic in my hand. I walked down the stairs. And I literally hear, you need to start teaching people about daycare. Mm. And I was like, I don't want to be known as the daycare lady. I'm too fly for that. But now I got, I'm, I'm so childcare shirt, right? I'm all in now. But I didn't want to do it because I didn't mm. want to be known like just as that. Right. 
at that point, I didn't realize how dope my industry was. So mm -hmm. um, I get to this revelation. So that was a Saturday, and I'm like, I don't want to do that. Yeah. So on Sunday, I put out a post, and I say, um, you know, who wants to learn how to open a daycare? Which was, was the wrong question, but it got the right response. And like hundreds of messages start flooding in, literally. And I was like, oh, okay, maybe God was correct. <laughs> and um, I did this little webinar and I sold a $12 ebook. Mm. And that was the start of Child Care Millionaires. I love it. So when you, in 2018, when you started, how many people did you get like interested? Cause you said you got like hundreds of. Yeah, probably about 300 people may have started. Okay. I didn't even have a webinar software. Right. Zoom was not popular then. So it was like, so I think I bought this webinar software like the two or three days before. <laughs> it was so crazy. <laughs> I didn't even have a way to collect email addresses. Yeah. Um, so we did it and um, I was smart enough to get a designer to make a little workbook, a little mm. ebook and the way I was delivering it to people, they would buy it on PayPal and I would hand deliver them an email. It was nothing automated. It yeah. was it was janky. I remember that too. <laughs> <laughs> you remember? Yeah. yeah, it was janky. But I delivered each one. Yeah. And then it just grew and we became a support group. Because one thing about my industry, nobody wanted to share. I don't know about accountants and CPAs, mm. but my industry, they didn't want to share. They saw everybody as competition. And I really wanted to break down that stigma. Because I feel like the way we get better as an industry or any industry yeah. is you begin to have crucial conversations, mm -hmm. right? You set an industry norm. Everybody is excited and, you know, honored to represent the industry. And so those are the conversations we begin to have. Um, but it made like hardly no money right. <laughs> in 2018. I think we made barely a thousand bucks. Wow. 2019, we did a little better. We made maybe like 10,000. That's the yeah. year we met. Right. It wasn't on and popping. It got on and popping during the pandemic. Okay. That's where everything started to take off. Everything changed in the pandemic. Yeah. My industry was hurting. Yeah. You know, um, I was actually with you that weekend. We were in Atlanta. And I remember, like, getting all these texts. Miss Woods, we're going to have to close. Miss mm. Woods, COVID is taking over. Like, I had extreme anxiety because my business is predicated on students walking through my door. Right. If no students walk through my door, I don't make no money and I can't pay my staff. Mm -hmm. So for me, that this was a moment that I knew that I had to pivot or perish. Mm -hmm. And I began to get online, talking to my industry about what we were going to do. And I made a decision not to close. I never closed during the pandemic. We went from 160 students to about 12 between all mm. locations. And it was devastating. Right. But we begin to say, listen, guys, there's no one coming to save us. We got to save ourselves." And we opened up grants. We gave away groceries. We gave away gas. We did whatever we could do um, to help each other. And we began to form like a family, a sisterhood. We, many people we had never met in person. And that group of a few hundred turned into a group of a few thousand. And now um, our association is over 5,000 strong. Mm. Our email list is over 10,000 strong. Wow. Just because we just begin to say, hey, we got to band together, you know? Mm -hmm. And those are the things I still preach today, you know? We can't wait on anybody to borrow us money. We have to become bankable. We have to learn how to be our own personal bank. We have to yeah. be able to be our own personal support system. We have to train each other, right. you know? We have to share the secrets, share the failures. Um, and we really became a strong association.
I love it. We're gonna definitely like go further into childcare millionaires. I think it's a really good conversation. But I want to ask you a question because I feel like in order to get to eight figures, this needs to happen, right? Okay. How has knowing your numbers impacted your business? So I am profit focused. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people think if you make money, you're making a profit. Mm -hmm. You can make millions of dollars and be cash poor. Right. So um, I was always entrenched in my numbers. I, I know how many students I need to break even. Mm -hmm. um, I know like the market I'm going to go in. I know, you know, how many c customers are there that can convert. So I know what size building. So knowing my numbers is everything. And this is one of the things that we teach our, um, our members is one, you got to know your operating budget and your startup budget. Some of you may be watching and you haven't even started a business or you're thinking about starting. So there are two different kinds of budgets you need. How much does it cost me to start? Right. And how much does it cost me to keep operating? Mm -hmm. You need to know that so you can know how many customers you need. Once you know those few things, then you can scale up. And scale up means that you can grow. Like, I didn't know what that word meant. Yeah. Because in, like, in child care, I was like, what do you mean to scale? Does that mean open? I was like literally Googling how to scale. <laughs> you know, what? I didn't know what that mean. So once you get a formula and your business is profitable, that's when you want to go into extreme growth. You don't want to grow something that's not profitable. Right. And you don't know that if you don't know your operating costs compared to how much money you're bringing in. Right. And if you're not bringing enough money to cover that operating cost, then you need more customers. Mm -hmm. If you're bringing in more money to cover the operating cost, then you still need more customers, right. but you want to get them at the cheapest cost possible. Yeah. So knowing my numbers has been everything um, to me. And... I know when I'm opening the center, the my magic number is 30. Mm. I need to get to 30 students because typically any center, 100 or more, 80 or more, you're going to need at least 30 students just to break even, to pay all your bills, and to pay mm. yourself. Because me paying myself is non-negotiable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> okay. So we've established, you know, knowing your numbers, how important that is. One of the things that I like that you do better than anyone that I've seen is strategic partnerships, mm. right? It's like, you know what, I'm making this money, I'm impacting, but how can I bring other people in that I know are experts in their fields to help impact the people that I work with and to also share in the revenue that's being generated, you know? Yeah. So you had approached us, EFS Group, um, I wanna say it was last year, about strategically partnering and like working with a lot of- And did it work? Oh yeah. <laughs> but working with a lot of the childcare operators that are in childcare millionaires. Yeah. Right. And um when you like pitched it to me, I was like, oh, this is a no brainer, right? Because we're working with you, we have a great knowledge of, you know, the childcare industry. And then everybody else that comes in, if we put them in the same systems and we do what we do and we introduce them to the magic that we can make, then it's gonna help them to grow, right? And um, one of the things you also asked me to come speak in November of last year at the at your event. Yes. And when I when I came, well, before I came, I was like, I didn't know what to expect, right? Because I had a few childcare daycare owners that I had as clients before, you know, I came to speak, mm -hmm. and they always spoke so down about the industry and about how they wanted to get out and they wanted to go do other things and stuff. And 
So I, I went in there with that mindset, but then when I just came into the atmosphere and I saw these women, and even if you're a few men as well, but mainly women, that they all um, were operating in excellence. They had businesses that were doing extremely well. They were eager to learn. They were eager to grow. That energy, I was like, I have to be a part of this. You know, every time you do an event, I have to be there, right? Absolutely. Um, so we started working with a few of the people um, that are in your Child Care Millionaires Association. And it's been a great experience. I mean, they're so eager to show up to the meetings that we have. They want to know more about their numbers. You know, whenever they talk to me, they're like, you know, I have an accountant right now, but I don't really know what's going on outside of just bookkeeping, right? And I have all these things that I want to learn. I want to get deeper into the KPIs, right? I want to measure certain things. But my accountant isn't really doing that. Do y'all do that? I'm like, yeah, we can definitely help you with that, right? So it's been a good marriage. Um, what brought that into your mind to start doing these strategic partnerships with people? So that was totally selfish. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do it because I was a good person. I did it because I wanted to get my people what they needed. Mm -hmm. But I wasn't an expert. So I had two choices. Do I go and learn what every CPA knows? Do I go and learn what every attorney knows? Do I go and learn what every software developer knows? No. Right. So it's, it behooves me to go with a person who's already an expert and who also who has integrity. Because mm. I don't partner with anyone who doesn't have integrity. And right. the moment I find out they don't have integrity, bye-bye, bye-bye. Right. Um, so, you know, partnering with you was a no-brainer because I came to you in a very fragile state. Mm. And so I knew that you could do two things for, for us. One that you could make sure that we were operating in audit-proof failure, right? <laughs> Even if we were audited, we didn't have to be scared right. because um, you guys operate in integrity. And I knew no matter what, what condition I sent people in, that they were going to be okay. So my former CPA, who was also my best friend, mm. passed away prior to me coming from Ephraim. But I learned a lot of lessons in that. Um, there was so much trust that I didn't have the proper passwords to some of my systems. Mm. I, I didn't have um, some of the paperwork that I should have been recording because I could always depend on her. Hey girl, just email me this or can you fill this out for me? Um, so in some areas where I should have been very educated, I was very ignorant. And so one of the things and from that experience I began to teach anybody I coach is, your relationship with your CPA should confirm what you know about your numbers. Right. Mm. It should be a confirmation. It should be a discussion. They shouldn't be the only person giving you information. And I feel that way with all of our strategic partners that we have is that they bring something that I couldn't bring fully. So, you know, we try to partner with great attorneys, great accountants, um, people with VA services, people who are mm. grant writers, because we want to bring experts to our um, we're experts at child care. But we're not experts at those ancillary things. So it was selfish. <laughs> but we also, you know, bring them a lot of business. And in return, mm -hmm. you know, they bring us a lot of business. So it creates a good ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I know if my child care centers that are in our program have good financials, they can open more centers. And then they can stay in the program longer. Or mm -hmm. they can now become a coach in the program. Right. And now they can help another budding entrepreneur. So it. It lowers poverty between, mm. you know, an industry that is predominantly ran by females. Right. Um, something people may not know is even since World War II when public child care became 
you know, uh, a solution because so many men went to work. Women had to go to work. Um, you know, 50, 56, it was 56 at the beginning of the year, percent of all childcare workers are black females, right? Really? Wow. And it's one of the most underpaid industries. And it coincides with like one and a half equitable pay, you right. know, for my sisters. And so if I can get owners to make more, mm. then eventually my cousin who works in one of my centers is going to work more. Or my aunt who may work in a center in Chicago is going to make more. Right. So it's building an ecosystem where owners can make more and then their workers can make more, which happens that the majority of their workers look just like me. Right. That's beautiful. So whenever you first started, how are you collecting payment, right? Because, you know, because of you, we work with a lot of mm -hmm. childcare um, owners or whatnot. And, um, you know, you have a few that are, have a system, right? And then you have a few that are still doing it old school, right? Whether it's cash, cash app, whatever it is, you know. If anybody out there doing cash app, stop riding dirty. <laughs> don't do that. Or yeah. Zelle, I prefer. I've seen a few, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and don't do anything where you're mixing money with your personal account. The worst thing mm -hmm. that you can do as an entrepreneur is open up the liability of your LLC mm -hmm. um, by commingling funds. Don't Just don't do that. So I first was accepting cash in center. Um, we had a good envelope system. Parents put their money in an envelope. They dropped it in a box. We kept tally of it on paper. And then, you know, monthly we would put it in a spreadsheet, antiquated way. Um, that's what we were doing probably for our first seven years. Hmm. COVID, I'm telling y'all, the pandemic made us pivot so much. We didn't want to <clears throat> touch nobody money. We didn't want to take okay. nobody's card. And we want, people wanted to pay on the go right. because they were not, no longer coming in, in the center. So we moved to electronic payments where our parents could pay on an app. We could easily see who hadn't paid, who had outstanding invoices. Um, and actually, we found out that we had a lot of payments slipping through the cracks. Mm -hmm. So there will come a time, y'all don't believe me, but I'm telling <laughs> you it's true. You will make more money than you can watch. Yes. And you will not be able to tell if $1,000 is missing. You won't be able to tell if $10,000. Dollars is missing right mm -hmm. away, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, you just won't be able to. So if you don't have a system that's a check and balance for you who can tell you who has outstanding invoices, it's going to be very hard for you to collect your money with equity and, and mm -hmm. to be intelligent about the money you um, collect. So now we can run aging reports. We know mm -hmm. if people have owe, owe us money and how long have they owed us, um, we can send great collection letters. <laughs> Um, because it's, that's okay, too, right. to ask for the money um, that you owe. And then we can also reward parents who pay correctly, you know. Mm. Um, so those are some things that we do um, through our system because it's easy to run those reports now. Right. I don't think you can, not, I don't, it's, well, maybe. I don't think you can get to eight <laughs> figures doing the old school way of collecting money, Right. No, like, not if you want. Not if you don't want to be in prison for money laundering or right. tax evasion. When right. you don't have those systems in place, it just throws up all kind of questions. Right. The IRS does not expect for you to take ten million dollars in cash. Right. I mean, 
When they had that episode on Power, I don't know if you watch Power. Uh -huh. Hey, stars, give my boy Ephraim some little money for this, okay? I need it. So, <laughs> if you watch Power, um, Tasha opens up a daycare. I remember. Right? Yes. And they're like, oh, my God, this is great for money laundering. Well, <laughs> the IRS has brains, too. Right. And they know any business that's making seven figures, eight figures, multiple, you know, millions of dollars, it doesn't make sense for you to have that much cash and checks come through your system mm -hmm. because you can't manage it. Right. So even if you're running credit cards in your center, I mean, you're taking one step in the right direction, but you really want to automate, just like Amazon, yeah. automates Amazon Prime, and just like all of these other apps automate, you want your payments automated. That way you're not having conversations with people every week, hey, run me my coins. Right. You can have care and they can get an alert hey, you owe this amount. And then at one point, my parents, if they use that PIN code, they put that PIN code in, it's going to say, your service has been suspended because mm. of non-payment. Right. And that's a conversation now I don't have to have. They already know. Mm -hmm. And so, and I also can let less people touch money. The more people right. who touch money coming into your business, the more likely money will be skimmed off the top yep. or misplaced. Mm -hmm. Or stole, <laughs> you know. Do you have any stories around that? Did, has that happened to you before? I've stole money from myself. I've lost <laughs> money. <laughs> One time I found an envelope with like $7,000 in it. Because we wow. used to deposit that kind of money every yeah. Monday. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. Now, I really didn't steal from myself, but I'm sure I let parents not pay. Mm -hmm. I'm, I, I've let parents not pay the late fees. Right. But now that we have an app, it automatically generates those fees for me, um, I don't think we. I've had a. I've been lucky to have very trusted employees. That's great. My mom is one of my directors. Mm. She has no reason to steal from me. <laughs> Do you, ma? No. Um, and I try not to put people in position to, to touch a lot of money. Yeah. And so one of the things that made me tied to my business is I couldn't leave because I was processing payments, right. you know? Or every Monday night, I couldn't have dinner with the fam because right. that was the night that we processed payments. Or my husband would come, we called him Suge. Suge would have to come so I could make a bank run, which put my family in danger. Right. So we've just alleviated all of that and all of our parents pay on an app. It goes directly into our account, makes accounting, you know, yeah. very, very easy. Um, it streamlines the whole process. I love it. I, you know, and I, I'm glad that you speak heavily about that in the Child Care Millionaires Association, right? And I've seen the effect. A lot of people that are coming and are doing discovery calls with us, we're asking them those questions, right? Because that might impact if we, you know, how we work with you. And then a lot of them are like, oh, yeah, we have a merchant that we already use. You know, so that's amazing. You can log into the merchant. You can see, like you said, your aging report, how much money you've collected, what parent is on time with their payments and things like that. It just makes it so much easier. I think sometimes we look at like those fees that we're going to pay and we're like, you know what, I don't want to do that. I want to save that money. But what, how much are the fees? At most, 3%, right? And that's a convenience fee for you to not have to do, spend all that time to do all those things. And time is money. Time is money. <laughs> time is money. So I don't have time to be chasing payments or to pay somebody else 40 hours a week to chase payments mm -hmm. when they can be bringing in more money focused on enrollment. So. Right. Um, the great thing about a lot of these apps, you can pass on the processing fees to the parents. Um, we have saved thousands of dollars by 
doing reoccurring payments through the app. Mm -hmm. um, so you may pay more for the app, but then the parent has an elevated service. They can do their billing a little bit better. And those merchant fees, they can be passed on or you can charge a higher rate, five more dollars a week to cover your technology. And people really appreciate you being a state-of-the-art school. Yeah. It may cost you a few hundred dollars, but to them, you're making a big difference. Yeah. So you recently experienced your first seven-figure month this Ooh. past May. He being messy now, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> How was that? Did, did you get chills? Like. Well, I got scared. I'm going to yeah. tell you that much. I woke my husband up. I was like, honey, honey. Because we, um, it was a combination of things. So this is where having multiple streams of income um, is very important. And all of my multiple streams still lean on childcare. Because right. we have real estate and childcare. Um, of course, we have the schools. Mm -hmm. Then we have childcare millionaires, which has several different program pay programs in it. And then we also have childcare events. Right. <laughs> and then, of course, we have. Um, we have exclusive events and open events. So everything is in childcare, but um, it was just a perfect storm. So we had got some funding in, which was awesome. Um, and then we had our events, so we had a lot of ticket sales. We opened up our program, so we had new members and old members renewing. And then May was our best childcare revenue month of the whole nine years we've been wow. um, in business full time. So when everything aligned, you know, we ended, you know, over seven figures in one month and we worked to get there in a year for a right. long time. Right. <laughs> so it was definitely a day that was like, mama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because the year before, I think was your first seven figure year. Um, well, two, or, years, or two before, years before, two years before, um, was my first seven figure year. We had always like been on the cusp of like 800,000, 900,000, mm -hmm. but we could never cross over. One, we were not priced correctly. Right. Um, two, we probably were missing payments, right. like we said before. And then childcare just wasn't as expensive in Texas. Right. And so even though we had a lot of clientele, we, we just never hit, we never crossed over the mark. But as we began to hire executive level people, we raise our prices to right. above industry standard. Um, I, I don't try to be the cheapest. Never. I don't think you should try to be the cheapest. Right. You need to be at least at industry standard or above. So all of those things were positioning us to be there um, in just childcare, you know. But then opening up the service um, industry and opening up childcare millionaires, that was a whole nother pot of money. Right. And that was more about getting paid for what you know and not for what you could do. Right. Which, if you guys don't know, that's where money is really being made right now. Um, it's one I can only, I only have a finite amount of hours. Brandy can only work so many hours, right. but Brandy's information can work when she sleep. When she sleep you right. know, Brandy Shopify store go to shopchildcommunities.com. Brandy <laughs> Shopify store can work anytime. Mm -hmm. You know, my team can work anytime. And so getting paid for what we know brought us into this digital learning space, which is another multi-billion dollar industry. So we literally collided two right. billion dollar industries. Um, and hopefully we're going to be somewhere on top. We will be. <laughs> That's to go from making, you know, having your first seven figure year two years ago to having your first seven figure month two years later. 
like that's a surreal jump, you know, and I feel like, you know, things are, are working like in the right direction for you right now. So it's exciting to see. Yeah, and I think I think it took too long, <laughs> you know, but when it happened, I was still pleasantly surprised. Right. And for the first time, I actually stopped and really celebrated mm -hmm. because one of the things we do as entrepreneurs, we're all we're just off to the next goal. Right. And we don't take time to like celebrate it. I took time and, you know, really congratulated my team and, you know, and even myself for really like showing up because mm -hmm. I'm going to tell you in these last two years, I thought about giving up a few times. Mm -hmm. I've, you know, been told this is the time to sell. And I just, I would not listen. I listened to myself and I'm so glad I did. And I believe everyone should have an extra strategy. And one day I will sell Imagine Me Academy. One of you may buy Imagine Me Academy for the right price. One day we may sell some of the real estate, but I knew that wasn't the right time. And I'm so happy I listened to myself because for the first time in forever, childcare became an industry the government was willing to bail out. Now, we're the cornerstone of the American economy. If we don't go to work, nobody can go to work, but right. they wouldn't help us. Banks wouldn't give us loans. Mm. You know y'all wouldn't give us no loans. You know, they wouldn't help us buy our buildings. They thought we were a fickle industry or ran by a bunch of women that, you know, like to dance around with kids. We just were not respected right. until people realized the actual business of taking care of children during the pandemic. Then we were not only accepted, now we were respected. Mm. So when the pandemic happened, I think a lot of us that had children really, really started to realize how important, you know, daycare owners were and how essential you guys were, you know, to our everyday lives. Because, you know, when the pandemic happened, we had to keep our kids right in the house and we're working. And some of us, like myself and Rita, we had one-year-old kids who they're all over the place in the background. They're in the video, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. And we can't really give them the attention that they needed because we had work to do, you know. And then the government came in, they said, you know what, we see that this is happening. Obviously, COVID has um, stopped childcare industry from really operating in their yeah. excellence. So therefore, if they can't operate the way they should, then now a lot of um, parents are not able to go to work. Right. Yeah, the pandemic was definitely a disturbance. And I mean, for the first time, like the government offered us any funds that I can remember um, since I've been in child care, um, like they definitely came down like in in a significant amount. And what I think what parents realize, because I think child care centers get a bad rap is we charge too much. We overcharge. If you think about if you're paying to say two hundred dollars a week and your child is in care 10 hours a day, that's like $4 an hour. Right. So it's really not a lot, especially if we are trying to give our staff a livable wage and not just a minimum wage. So those funds that came in to say, hey, we're gonna stabilize childcare for essential workers and we're gonna stabilize the industry was very instrumental um, for us to be able to keep going because um, most parents making minimum wage cannot afford full-time childcare, which puts our in our communities back in a poverty situation. Because right. if I go to work and I can't afford childcare, then what's the sense of me going to work if I'm not gonna have any money? Or if these other things that are helping me, you know, get cut off. So when we can give a more 
reasonable tuition and we can mm -hmm. give a more higher wage even to our workers, it helps the ecosystem all together. So I was so happy, <laughs> so happy that childcare for one time, you know, who has been a distressed industry before mm -hmm. in other recessions or in other, um, I, I'm not going to say pandemics, I don't think anything rocked us like COVID in our generation. I don't think anything was as devastating to everyone at the same time. But for us to finally get help, it was amazing for our industry. I love it. Something that you said earlier in the interview that we just are having right now was uh, you realized that your prices were too low and then you increased it. What made you realize that they were too low and what gave you the confidence to increase your prices? Because I think there's a lot of people that they don't charge what they should because they're not confident behind, you know, charging it. And they yeah. feel like their clientele is gonna leave. Yeah, and your clientele is <laughs> totally directly correlated to your price. Mm. You know, if you think about your clients and what you charge, mm -hmm. you're getting a particular client, right. right? You're not gonna attract every client. And your rates in your center, your rates with any product you sell is gonna attract a certain client. But it's also going to attract a certain worker because mm. what I was paying was not allowing me to attract the staff that I needed to really, really grow. And we were on such a growth spurt. It was like we needed high level leaders, but I had no money in my budget for administrators. Mm. And so I couldn't do it on my own. So in order for us to elevate the experience for our students, we had to elevate the staff we were hiring. And so we did it incrementally. We started with $10 a kid and then 10 more dollars six months later until we could actually get to industry standard because I wasn't even charging the subsidy minimum at one point. Oh, wow. And so I, I was I live in a community that's very small and um, I wanted to be a service, but I was doing a disservice because I was not able to offer quality service because we literally were not charging enough to have all of the staff that we needed. And I'm talking about the high level staff and the high level programs. I like how you didn't just like dive into the price that you really wanted to go. You like incrementally over time built $2 a day, $10 a week. <laughs> I would tell parents it's $2 a day. And then six months later, we'd be like, it's two more dollars a day yeah. until we got to a point where we were charging the right things. And then for parents um, who like really couldn't do it, you know, or had hardships, then we, that's when you have your tuition assistance programs or that's when you try to um, connect them with other community organizations and other resources. That's when you put a piece of your fundraiser money aside to say we're going to have this hardship program that when parents do have a hardship, we have some funds that we can, you know, allocate to this parent's account. I love that. So, you know, this is a figure focus, right? Yes. And, um, <laughs> The, the whole goal with this podcast is for us to help us really start to think bigger, right? If um, I feel like in order for you to get to eight figures in revenue a year, you can't operate the same way that you're currently operating. You have to do things differently, right? The, you might have to change the team that you have. The team that you have at seven might not be able to get you to eight. You might have to implement automation. You might have to yes. do, you know, you have to level up your business, right? What do you feel is missing from a lot of owners in the childcare space for them to hit that age? Again, he's being messy. <laughs> Personal development. Mm. Um, and the reason why I say that is because they don't have personal development, sometimes they don't realize the decisions they make is so harmful to their business because 
they're not willing to invest in themselves or others. Right. Right. And the only way that you can grow your organization is having the right people. So you can either hire them on expensive or you can grow them, mm -hmm. which is maybe an inexpensive route and it may be a slower route, but they tend to be much, much more loyal sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, but if you're not willing to invest money to grow people, it's a direct relationship, but you're not willing to invest money to grow yourself. Right. My center owners who are multi seven figure owners or they have multiple centers or they gotten time freedom or, you know, they're not stressed out is because they invested in self-development. Then they invested in development of their staff and now their organization is stronger. Mm. You cannot have an eight figure business on a weak foundation. Right. You cannot have an eight figure business predicated on everybody in your business. Um, has limited education, limited resources, mm -hmm. limited work experience, right? No um, accountability to their work, no ownership of their work, or you're creating a, a host of weak-brained employees. And what I mean weak-brained, they're not allowed to exercise their um, great ideas. Mm -hmm. They're not allowed to be strong in the workplace because they are own, their only function is limited to the small dollar amount and this small job description, and you're not willing to ask them to do more because you feel guilty because of how much you pay them or because they don't have the skill. But you feel comfortable giving a person a department if they're developed. Right. And you won't do that until you're developed. Right. I feel like a lot of things that we've talked about today, you know, obviously you're in the childcare industry, but it's for every business, right? Because I feel like all of us need to always personally develop, right, in order for us to get to that next level. Because who you were at the six-figure level isn't who you were at the seven-figure. Absolutely. And who you are at seven figures most likely will not be who you are at the eight, right? So I like that answer that you said about personal development. This is great. Um, so before we wrap, I know you have an event, another conference coming up. You do a conference every May and November, and I can't wait to be you know, in attendance. Can you talk about it? Yeah. So this year we're doing our, our November conference, Child Care Cella. It's like a mix of education, entertainment, um, and really a way to celebrate the people who are working so hard in this industry. We have a lot of industry partners come and join in, um, as well as owners, directors, lead teachers, so they can learn how to grow their business, you know, um, not just in numbers, but in profit, right? Yeah. I don't want them to make a lot of money and don't keep a lot of money. Right. So we talk about profitability strategy, leadership strategies, you know, and we invite anyone who's in the industry and leadership um, to come and be a part. We're announcing some major things um, at our conference this year. Um, and we really are proud um, to pour into our industry. I love it. I, I look forward to attending. Yeah, know. we look forward to you attending. <laughs> he gives us one little shake dance. Uh, <laughs> not much. And then we always end the weekend with our gospel breakfast. Um, yes. And some people would not do this, but I believe um, that it is my duty, mm. you know, to leave people with some inspiration because I truly know that um, I feel so much more grounded with that spiritual connection. So we end the weekend um, first we feed their mind, then we feed their soul, and everybody goes home happy and ready to run. I love it, man. So in May, when we had when you had your conference, the theme around it was pretty much a figure focused thing, yeah. right? It was think bigger. What are we doing right now, and what can we do to get to that next level, right? Absolutely. And I think a lot of people that I spoke to at the conference, they left with saying, you know what? 
I do have the ability to open more centers. I do have the ability to hire more people, give more opportunities. Um, I have the ability to do all those things. I just need to put it in play, right? And it really, even there were some people who were like, you know what, my license capacity is 100, but I can expand it to 150, you know? But they started thinking about different things that they could do to add more, you know, children into their centers and also which will increase their revenue. Um, some of the things that I always say to a lot of people in your industry is that um, when I have discovery calls with them, you know, and they're talking about how they don't necessarily want to grow, right? And I always ask them, do your kids, do you feel your kids are more well-equipped than your competitors? They always say yes, right? When I say more well-equipped, meaning to go into grade school and you're more advanced, you know, you know how to do a lot of things that a lot of kids in other childcare centers don't know how to do. And they always say yes. And I'm like, well, you're doing a disservice to the community if you don't grow, right? Because if you're not growing, that means that you're limiting everything that you're doing, all the skills, all the um, everything that you're pouring into your students. You're limiting it to just a small group of children, right? Whereas if you grow, you now are affecting more children. You're giving more children the tools that you're already giving the children that are in your centers. Right. And then obviously, that leads to more revenue, right? So if you think about how many children you can affect positively without even thinking about the money, the money automatically just comes, right? Absolutely. So I wanted to say that, you know, I think that's very important. And guys, I know, um, and this is in any business, growing, you're gonna have growing pains, but once you get over that next growth hump, you're just gonna be better. Mm -hmm. So once you have those systems in place and you have a good plan, a good mindset, you're going to feel comfortable growing. But if you're growing reckless and you don't have a plan, that's the only time you should feel uncomfortable. So that's why it's important to have people like Ephraim to watch your numbers. They always tell me, okay, Brandy, it's time to spend more money. It's time to pay yourself more. It's time to do this. Because a lot of us who are seeing money for the first time, mm -hmm. we want to hold on to money. Right. If you hold on to your seed and you don't plant it, you have no harvest. Mm -hmm. So those of you who are growing, don't be afraid to plant the new seed. Just like that first center grew or that first website grew or that first location grew. If you plant good seeds, you're going to you're going to get another harvest. So don't try to hold on. Right. Allow yourself to grow, too, because a lot of people are scared that they're not going to be the leader that they need to be. And it's true. Mm -hmm. You're not. Not if you don't get development. Right. But that's why me and Ephraim, we invest in our development yes. <laughs> together. Yes. Right. We invest in our development. And I know that we go out and invest in our own industry development. You have to do that. You have to learn about the business, but you have to learn about relationship. You have to learn about leadership. Don't let those things keep you at a six-figure or a seven-figure company when you're destined to be eight-figure focused. I love it. If you're in the childcare industry, you I implore you to join Childcare Millionaires Association, right? Because you're going to learn so much. You're going to be positively impacted. You're going to grow your business, and you're going to be in a sisterhood of women that want to see you succeed. So I think that's very important that you join. So for everybody that's listening that can't get enough of this conversation, where can they follow you? Like, you know, where can they find you? Do it media? for the gram. You can find me on Instagram at brandywoods1908. I normally pull up first, but you can go to childcaremillionaires.com. We have a wonderful website, wonderful merch store. It has all the information of how to connect with me. I'm, I'm here for you. I, I love 
all entrepreneurs, not just childcare. I'm a productivity master. Um, so if you follow my Instagram, you'll see all of my productivity hacks. You'll see me rolling around with the kids. So please follow me. And I, I do follow back. I love it. Well, thank you guys for tuning in to A Figure Focus. And until next time, 